Quaker.com podcast. Today is Friday, November 9th, 2012. My name is Ben Stone, and this is podcast number 227. And uh, today, I, you know, a lot of times I have a uh, little information I give out right in the beginning, like I talk about the forum or uh, at badquaker.com, or I talk about something else that's going on. But I want to jump right into it today. And, uh, and the reason why is because I think... Um, with this being not long after the election, I know everybody wants to, you know, stop thinking about the election. But there are a lot of people with a lot of pain right now um, and and a lot of fear and a lot of trepidation, a lot of really not knowing how this is going to turn out. And, and they're a little concerned that, you know, that such a huge portion of Americans actually went down, put effort into it, went down to the polls and ask government to continue doing what it's been doing and expecting it will probably get worse. And this is pretty terrifying for a lot of people. So I really want to touch on this today. Before before I do that, though, I do want to clarify, clarify one thing that I was talking about. Uh, I think I was talking about this yesterday when Kai and I were, were talking, or it may have been the day before. But the thing I want to emphasize is that when it, it, when it comes to taxation, and, I, and I'm going to get back to the voting thing in a second, but when it comes to taxation... Um, the government, any government, any, any at any point in time, you know, in the future, in the past, whatever, any government is always going to take the maximum amount of taxes from you, the maximum amount of theft that they can get away with. They always will. And, that, you know, that depends to a large degree on the society that you're, that you're dealing with, how rebellious the people are, what they've gone through in the past, how much they've been indoctrinated. There's all kinds of different factors involved in this. But no matter what kind of tax changes or tax policy or loopholes or, you know, no matter what kind of promises that they give you or what kind of taxing schemes that they come up with, uh, you know, a flat tax, a, a, a value-added tax, none of that stuff matters. The thing to keep in mind is a government, any government, will always take as much as it can right up to the point of where the people will just not tolerate anymore, and then it'll back off a little bit. And it'll always, at some point, try to take more until the public won't take it anymore, and then it'll back off a little bit. And that's what governments always do. So never, ever be fooled by these, you know, these different uh, ideas that, well, if we could just get this guy elected or that guy elected, and then he'll get in this flat tax, or he'll get in this value-added tax, or he'll make, uh, he'll eliminate this tax and change it like that, or he'll simplify it, or, you know, all those are just con jobs. They're just fake. It's just lies. It's just meant to keep you pacified. And if they give you a deduction 
in one place, they'll figure out a way to make up for it somewhere else, either through you know changing the money supply and and bringing on more inflation, or they'll do something in some way, and never get confused about you know a lot of people get really worried about um, you know what some welfare mother is, uh, how much money she's taking from the government, or whether or not some some dope uh, some crackhead somewhere is on food stamps or something. It doesn't matter what government does with the money after they steal it from you. The thing you have to focus on is the fact that they stole it from you, not what happens to it after it's gone. Focus on the criminal. Focus on the criminal act and focus on that, not what the criminal does with the money after, after he's taken it and gone away. Don't, don't be mad at the bartender when the thief robs you and then goes in and has a drink. Be mad at the thief and recognize the thief is the problem, not how, it, now, not how the thief spends his money. It's the fact that there is a group of people in society who can come to you and forcibly extract anything they want from you at any time, and you can do nothing about it. And, and if you try to do something about it, whether that be revolution or whether that be an individual act uh, to try to stop this, they win. They will win. They always have. They always will because they have the, the aggression and all the, the force of government behind them. So they will win. So you have to fight them in a, more, in, a, in a different way, in a more efficient way, in a smarter way. You can't fight them with the vote. You can't fight them with violence. You can't fight them through any of the means that the state wants you to use. You have to use the only way to defeat government and the only way to defeat the myth of the state, and that is the market. Okay, now that was my big preaching in the beginning, and that's not even the topic today. What I want to talk about today is I want to give some good news for the disheartened. I want to I want to specifically talk about people who really had their hopes uh, set that somehow you know defeating Obama was the goal, and you could maybe you had to compromise things that you believed in, but you had to defeat Obama. He, we just can't survive four more years of this socialist. All, all these ideas like this, I want to address. Those people, whether they be libertarian, whether they be Republican or anything else, those people who really had it in their minds that it was critical to defeat Obama, and now they're crushed. They can't believe that the American people have turned on them. I read one thing in Facebook by a, a really good friend who is a, you know, the best way I can describe him is just that he's a really good person. If the world had more people like him, the, uh, we would be, we would all be better off. And this is this is a guy who I don't agree with on a lot of things. I think he's very confused, and I think he um, I think he has good intentions, but I think that uh, he's put a lot of effort that has gone in a, in a negative direction. And even though he has wanted to do good all his life, and he has put his life on the line to do good, um, it it hasn't helped. It's been in, it's it's done the opposite. And he, he kind of came to that realization in the last few days, watching the, the results of the election. And on Facebook, he made the statement something, and this is not a quote, but he said something like, I've spent all these years, and it's like, uh, you know, 25, 28, 20, maybe 30 years of service that he has attempted to serve the American people through being a policeman, through being a police instructor, through being in the military, and through doing private contract work uh, for the government. He has worked and worked and worked trying to do what he thought was best. And um, watching Obama get reelected was just crushing to him. 
because he said he 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 expressed in this post in this um, uh, Facebook post that everything that he had put his life to do his whole life's work was now useless and this is how he felt and it was crushing to him and I want to speak to people like that today because I want to show you that there is hope there's not hope in voting there's no hope in voting there's no hope in that at all but there is hope I want to talk to you about that today I want to I want to show that the government in DC doesn't rule by consent it rules by brute force and ambivalence with a sprinkling of ignorance tossed in just for fun now so so today and and this may seem a little harsh but stick with me don't don't allow yourself to be offended by simple words that i'm going to use today i want to talk specifically to disheartened republican and libertarian statists now don't get wrapped up on that word statists i want to talk to anyone who believes that the result of this presidential election is a crushing blow to liberty I want to talk to you. I want to convince you to abandon the liberty movement and replace it with the liberty mission. Now, I'm going to talk more about the liberty mission a little bit later in this podcast. But please do not get offended by the term statist. Just stick with me. If if you if don't 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 let your emotions override your thought processes and let's just really define what this word is that I'm talking about here statist don't allow your emotions to cause your cause you to be offended and cause you to stop listening just let's let's go through a couple words here if I'm talking about fascism I'm not using you know the government uh, through schools and through I should say the state the state through schools through the media through governments through textbooks through all the different means that it has at its disposal the state twists the meanings of words and so things that had a very specific meaning within one or two generations that meaning is lost and and the word means something entirely different and I'll, I'll use a couple a couple of examples think about uh, fascism now fascism is an uh, an economic um, a, a political and economic definition a fascism a, a fascist government is a government where uh, central planning is utilized and um, and government works hand in hand with corporations to to um, to accomplish its goals and its goals basically are uh, for the betterment of the corporation and the betterment of the government. Now, that's that's all fascism is. Fascism does not require a strong military presence. There are many fascist governments that were quite successful that were not militant, or at least not all that militant. So that's really all fascism is. Fascism is not, you know, uh, uh, shiny black boots marching and, and funny salutes and all those silly things. Uh, fascism has nothing to do with racism. Fascism is a, a political and an economic form of government. And that's all it is. So, so if I say something is fascist, do not think of Hitler. Do not think of Jews being killed. Do not think of the things the state wants you to think. Think of the socio, uh, the socio, no, the um, the political economic uh, reality of what fascism is. Now, the same could go if I was talking about socialism. Socialism is simply the central planning of the economy, 
and then everything that, that naturally happens because of that. But the central planning of the economy is the basis of socialism. So yes, fascism is an aspect of socialism, as is communism. But fascism and communism are two very different things. But they're both aspects of socialism where, where the economy is centrally planned. All right. So there's no uh, there's no derog there's no ne- necessity for anything derogatory in any of these phrases. They're they're simply words that describe something. Like if I'm talking about a duck, and I say, "Well, that's a duck." That's not derogatory towards the duck. So the same should be when we talk about words like fascism, socialism, capitalism, statism, capitalism. Capitalism is not where, you know, General Electric uses its influence in Congress to get a specific light bulb outlawed so that the light bulb it sells uh, becomes the one that dominates the market. That's not capitalism. That's fascism. But people call that capitalism because the state has taught you to distort these words. Now, the same goes with statism. People use it to attack each other all the time. Well, that guy's a statist. But let's get to what the word actually means. It means you believe that the use of government is either effective, it's either effective, or it's uh, both effective and moral. Or maybe you don't believe it's effective, but if you believe it's moral. If you believe that the use of government to achieve your means, to achieve whatever it is you want, if you believe the use of government is useful, or um, effective, or moral, then you're a statist. Now, that's not an insult. That's not attacking your integrity. That's not attacking you in any way. This is just a fact of the definition, just like the definition of fascist doesn't mean a person's a racist. It doesn't mean that, they're, that they have a small, tiny little mustache and they, walk, and they move in jerky movements. It doesn't mean that they're a bald dictator that stands on, an, on a porch in Italy and shouts out commands. It doesn't mean any of those things. Fascism is a word that has a definition. So is capitalism. So is socialist. And so is statist. So when I say that I'm talking to disheartened Republican and libertarian statists, I'm not making an insult. I'm talking about people who think or who thought that this election would matter and that think that since Obama got reelected, that this is horrible and this is this is this is a bad thing for liberty and 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 now you know all the whole world is going to fall apart because of this if you believe that then you have faith in the state and you're a statist and i want to help you i don't want to i'm not here to um, i'm not here to condemn you or attack you i'm here to help you i'm here to let you see something that maybe you haven't seen before so please don't be offended by the term statist, as I'm talking here. I really want you to understand that I'm not accusing anyone, and I'm not. And this is not about shame. If you voted, I'm not here to accuse you or condemn you. I'm here to help you. And if you voted, you did so because you believe that your vote meant something. If you didn't believe, you wouldn't have bothered voting. So the very fact that you voted means you believe that your vote would do something. So to act based on a belief is faith. Think about this for a second. If you're standing on the bank of a creek, you're standing beside a small creek, and you want to get across this small creek, and you look at it, and you know, you know yourself, you know your abilities, and you know how far you can jump, 
And you'd rather get across this creek without getting your shoes all wet. And so you look from bank to bank, and you look where you're standing, and you come to a conclusion that you're pretty sure you can jump across this bank. Now, if you jump, that is an act of faith. Because all the factors are, are not known. I mean, if you think about it, you, you understand that all the factors are not known. The, uh, there could be a, a rabbit hole right underneath where you're standing that you don't know about. And as you begin to launch, you could lose a lot of the energy of your jump in that, as that rabbit hole collapses. And you could fall right into the water. This is a possibility. But you have faith in your ability, so you jump. If you didn't have faith in your ability, you would not have acted upon that situation you would have hesitated or you would have examined it further but because you had faith you acted and that's what a vote is that's all that's all it is you have faith you believe that your action is of value so that so you take that action so the expression of faith is acting based on your beliefs and if you voted then you have faith because your your vote is an act of faith I know to some listeners, you're like, yeah, you said that like six times in the last three podcasts. I know, but there are people that are going to hear this podcast today who haven't heard those other podcasts. And if you're listening to this and you've heard it before, then I want to tell you something. Somebody in your life, I'll bet you, is really upset with the results of this of this election. And it may be, you listen to this through yourself, even if you've heard my other podcasts on, on voting. Listen through to this and see if it's not true that this podcast can help someone who really had a lot of faith in, in, uh, in the electoral process and really is dis- disenhearted. Disenhearted, is that the word I used? That are really upset, that they're really concerned that things are going to turn bad now. So even if you've heard all this before, stick through it. And if you agree with what I'm saying, and if, and, if, and if this podcast does what I'm trying to get it to do, share it with somebody like that and just see what happens. Okay, now let's just come to grips with this so that the healing can begin. If you voted, you believe that the use of government to create change is effective and or moral. Otherwise, you wouldn't have voted. You, you may have voted to stop the ridiculous war on drugs. You may have voted to, uh, you may have voted out of desperation. Anything but Obama, anything, anybody, anybody's better than Obama. You may have voted like that. You may understand that it's immoral to vote, but you were desperate. Or maybe, maybe you're not sure. Maybe you're not sure one way or the other if it's moral, but you were still desperate and you wanted to make change. You wanted to stop this ridiculous war on drugs. Maybe, maybe you were in one of the states where key decisions were being made on the war on drugs and you felt that you absolutely had to go out and vote because it was that important. And you maybe, maybe you didn't feel good about it. Maybe you did. It doesn't matter one way or the other. You felt like you could, you had to, you were desperate and you had to make this, this, uh, this expression of faith in the state. You may be unsure of the morality of voting, or you may even believe that voting is moral. That's possible. If so, I want to encourage you to listen to my other podcasts on this topic. And I'm, uh, you know, I'm not sure exactly how I'm going to do this, but I want to do something where I put together a series of all the podcasts that I've done lately on voting, and I want to put them all together and all in a logical order. And I don't know, I'm, I'm even kicking around the idea of making a CD out of it or something. I don't know, I'd have to, I'd have to talk to my friend Michael W. Dean about that, because he's really the expert on that kind of thing. 
But uh, and by the way, he has some great uh, he has some great DVDs, um, movies like uh, Guns and Weed, The Road to Freedom, and and more than I can name. But anyway, that's just a shout out to to Michael over there. Now I'm going to break here, and when I get back, I really want to I want to talk about good news for the desperate and good news for the disheartened. Hang with me; I'll be right back. I'd like to talk to you about Tom Woods's Liberty Classroom. The Liberty Classroom is a collection of courses on history and Austrian economics presented in an easy, convenient way. There are video files and audio files you can download. You can participate in discussions online in the discussion boards. And there are live sessions with Tom Woods and the other educators where you can directly interact with the instructors. Now, who is this for? It's for anyone who realizes that they didn't get the real story in government-approved schools. It's also great for homeschoolers and unschoolers. Join Tom Woods and his team, and they'll equip you with one of the very best tools the Liberty Movement has to offer, knowledge, real knowledge in a usable form. At Tom Woods' Liberty Classroom, you can get all this for only $99 a year. Now, that's less than the cost of one movie DVD a month. This gets you access to absolutely everything on their site, all the courses plus additional courses that will be added later, the discussion forums, the live sessions, everything. So how do you do this? You go to badquaker.com. You click on the banner for Tom Woods Liberty Classroom. By using that link, you'll let Tom know that I sent you, and you'll help badquaker.com. Thank you very much. Okay, thanks for sticking with me. Now, uh, let's just jump right back into this. I, I'm, I'm saying that I have good news for the desperate and good news for the disheartened. The government in D.C. does not rule by consent. The government in D.C. rules by brute force, by ambivalence, and a little sprinkling of ignorance. Now, when I say ignorance, I'm not talking about stupidity. Ignorance and stupidity are two vastly different things. Stupidity is, uh, whether willful or otherwise, the inability to learn. But ignorance just means you don't know. We're all ignorant of some things. All of us are. And so don't be offended by the word ignorance, but also understand that a good portion of how the government um, maintains its monopoly of violence upon a geographical area, a good portion of that is based on the ignorance of the people being, um, being owned by the slave master. And if enough people understood, then they would no longer tolerate that ownership. So really, that's what we're talking about here. This is how any government rules, by brute force, by ambivalence, and by ignorance. Now, um, back to the good news. I want to, I wanna, first, let's get to some numbers here. And, you know, anybody that knows me really well knows that I'm not a big numbers person. Um, but, but I do want to go through this a little bit. And keep in mind that these numbers, uh, pretty much every source that you might find on the Internet, these numbers are changing day to day. So, and, and keep in mind also that none of these numbers are accurate. There's so much cheating and there's so much falsification within the American voting system that pretty much uh, you know, none of these numbers are really all that set. A bunch of them are fake and a bunch of them are just uh, are not accurate at all. So uh, for the purpose of, of the numbers that I'm going to give you, I, I relied on two sources because I got so many conflicting sources. So I re relied on two sources, USA Today and uh, Wikipedia. Now with Wikipedia, I'm going to put a, uh, a link in today's show notes for a chart. And I'd really like for you to click over there and take a look at this chart. 
um, it really says a lot about uh, about politics and and not just in the U.S. This chart covers uh, uh, several European countries and others as well. There is uh, a growing disenchantment. I, I'll say instead of uh, the other word that I use, a disenchantment. In other words, people have been enchanted by government before, but it's starting to burn off. It's starting to wear away, and they're not buying the uh, they're not buying the spell anymore. They're not eating that apple, that tainted apple, and they're not falling into the sleep that they were. And they're beginning to understand that voting does not help them. And the government is not listening. And their prayers to government in the form of voting, their, uh, their petitions to government in the form of, of voting are not doing what they think. Their God is not listening to them when they pray. Okay, now, and if you're not sure what I'm talking about with that, again, that's a reference to one of the other podcasts I did on this topic about voting uh, being a petitioning uh, the government through faith. It's the same as prayer. So now, uh, here's some of those numbers I was talking about. Only 57%, and these are this is all in the U.S., in the recent U.S. election, only 57% of registered voters actually voted. That means 43% of people who could have voted just didn't bother to go down and do it. They could have, but they didn't. 43%. There are roughly 311 million people in the U.S., now, not all of those can vote. There's uh, a lot of people that can't vote. Let's consider registered voters versus everybody else. Who can't vote? Well, children, of course, can't vote. And there's this magical line the government has drawn for no particular reason at the age of 18. And when you're 17 years and 11 and a half months, you're not smart enough to vote, according to the government. But magically, if you're 18, you can vote. That makes no sense whatsoever. But so we have lots of fully intelligent people that could vote that don't, and they can't because they're under 18. And then in addition to that, we have people who are in prison, in jail, for whatever reason, and they can't vote. And some of them, even if they get out, they'll never be allowed to vote again. And some of them, some of them have been put in prison for really stupid things, like um, possessing leaves of a plant. So if you've possessed certain leaves of certain plants, you can never vote. Now that's stupid, but that's the system we have. So of all these people, and oh, here's the other thing. If you were born on one side of a magical line that a politician uh, drew on, the, on a map, then you can't vote. But if you were born on the other side of that line, you can vote. You see? But lots of people are in the U.S. and that are affected by the U.S. government that were born on the wrong side of that magic line that some politician wrote. And so they can't vote. So we have in the United States people, um, and of those, only a small portion can vote. The registered voters. And um, now in the 2012 election, out of those 311 million people, only about 118 or 120 million actually voted. Only 118 or 120 million actually voted. And that's only, uh, you know, keep in mind, only, 50%, only 57% of the ones um, who could have voted actually did vote. So what that really means is under 40% of Americans voted. 60% of Americans did not vote for whatever reason. 
USA Today says that 90 million Americans were registered and chose not to vote. 90 million. Well, you know what? Obama only only got 61 million. So 90 million registered voters could have voted, didn't vote, and Obama only got 61 million. So what does this tell us? There's no reason to be really, really crushed that American society is so twisted that they would elect a monster like Obama because the, because the American people did not elect that monster Obama. The, the majority of American people either don't care, they understand that it doesn't matter who's in the White House, or they didn't particularly want him in there, but they didn't particularly, weren't particularly excited about what the other parties had to offer either. So Obama is not the chosen leader of America. Obama is the chosen leader of 61 million voters. And not even all of them would have really chosen Obama if they had somebody other than Mittens to choose from. A lot of those people who voted for Obama voted for Obama simply because Mitt Romney scared their pants off. And for good reason. I wouldn't want that. I wouldn't trust that man through my front door. Neither one of them. Okay, so now let's go with, uh, here's some information from a USA Today poll. And I want to give my little, my normal disclaimer when it comes to polling information. Polling information in its very best form um, is not believable. So you wonder, well, well why, why has been quoting it then? Well, it may not be entirely believable, but sometimes it's useful. Sometimes you can get some kind of an idea out of it. So, um, so a real quick example of why polls are, are not believable. I don't take, I, I almost never, I shouldn't say I don't, I almost never cooperate in polls. I have at times, but I almost never do, especially political polls, because um, nothing that I believe politically is ever going to be properly represented in the questions of those polls. So why should I waste my time and lend my legitimacy to a poll by cooperating with it? It's not going to have the kind of questions. You know, they're going to ask me, are you uh, registered to vote? And if I say no, they're never going to understand why. And it's never going to be part of those questions, you know, why part of those questions. And if I say, yes, I am registered, which I did register back whenever it was so that I could vote for Ron Paul in 2008, well, if I do register, then that throws me into a classification that really doesn't describe me because I've learned better than that by now. I'm, I'm a, I, I take a completely different position now in 2012 than I had it in 2008 when I voted for Ron Paul in the primaries. So the so polling is just not accurate. Plus, I've talked before about how uh, who ends up answering those polls is not all, is not always the people that they intend to. There's a, a whole self-selection bias in the screening process of that, and I've gone into that before. I don't have time for it today. So, okay. So of the USA Today poll, and we can believe it as much as you know whatever you want to. But um, here's a quote from from the uh, from the poll. It says many of those unlikely to vote are suspicious of and disconnected from politics. In the survey, six in ten say six out of ten. Six in ten say they don't pay attention to politics because, and this is, quote, nothing ever gets done. And 54% call politics corrupt. 54% of the people in this poll understand that, that politics is entirely corrupt and doesn't get 
the, the things done that people think it can do. So they don't bother to get involved. Now, the hard numbers tell us that positive political participation has declined year after year. Volunteers working for political parties, um, the attendance at political rallies, and even the attendance of observers at town hall meetings are all declining. And that's both on the national level and the local level. So fewer and fewer people are working for the political parties and the political, you know, all this stuff. Fewer of them are working voluntarily. More and more of them are having to be paid to do that stuff. Now, um, keep in mind that the what I refer to as the Ron Paul factor throws these numbers all off in every direction. Because if you think about uh, a campaign like Ron Paul's, where so many of the people involved in the Ron Paul campaign were voluntary, and very few were actually paid. So even as big as the Ron Paul campaign was... And as many volunteer workers as there were, and the huge rallies that Ron Paul uh, uh, people attended, even with those big numbers, still participation has been declining year after year, and the number of volunteers is declining year after year, and attendance at political rallies is, is declining year after year. And less people even go down to their own city and, and listen to the, to the city meetings and get involved. Less people year by year because more and more people are understanding that it's a waste of their time and they lose, they're losing faith. And that's the key. They are losing faith in the political process as being effective and moral. Now, at the same time that we're seeing this decrease in political activity, there's uh, in negative forms of participation, you might say, We've seen a steady increase. People have become far more likely to participate in things like boycotts and demonstrations and disruptions and protests and petitions and all that kind of stuff, what you might call negative activism. There's more and more and more of that all over Europe, all over the United States, um, pretty much around, you know, in China. It's happening everywhere, all across North Africa. More and more people are getting upset. And rather than getting involved in the political process... They're using negative activism instead because, again, they've lost faith in that state, in the myth of the state. Frustration is increasing while faith in the state is decreasing. This is the best possible trend for liberty. It is the absolute best news we could hear. If, if liberty is really your goal, of course, if your goal is to use the aggression of government to enforce what you call liberty upon someone else, um, that's a different story altogether. Uh, you know, go be a part of the state. Uh, just admit to yourself that you're a statist and go, and go do that. Set aside morals. Set aside what is good. Set aside the zero aggression principle and go and do that if, if you believe that. But if you believe... That, that the political process is the use of aggression. And if you believe that, the, that an individual has a right to, to self-ownership, and if you believe in the zero aggression principle, then everything we're seeing, everything that's happening, the election of Obama, all of this, all of it is good. This is the best possible news for those of us seeking true liberty. Only one in 10 Americans approves of Congress in a straight approve or disprove poll with USA Today. Only one in 10 
approves of those thieves in Washington, D.C. Now remember, a vote is an act of faith in the state. Therefore, when a registered voter chooses not to vote, it generally is an indication that the person has lost that faith in the ability of the state to do what it is they want them to do. And now, and now let's shift to a different direction. This is no secret what I'm saying. The state knows these things. The state knows it's in trouble. The state, people within the government, but also that entity, that, that entity the state, that's bigger than the government, the myth itself, that, that monster, that beast, that thing that, is the, that lives in the imaginations of humanity, that exists nowhere else but in the imagination, that belief that government is good and government can accomplish good, that myth is the state, and the state knows it's in trouble. The myth of the state is cracking. Now, the state has two choices. The state can utilize brute force through the actions of government, or the state can adapt and alter the myth. If you think about different times in history, you know, when the state was very young, um, there was only pretty much one form of the state. And I've talked before about the mound of, Jer of uh, Jericho and how the state began basically as an uh, um, encampment of robbers at a robber's roost. And they fortified themselves in the valley of, um, of the Jordan. And that became the first manifestation of the state that we know of was there at, uh, at Jericho, where a small garrison um, rode out from that one location and taxed the countryside. This is the first manifestation of the state that we're, that we're aware of. They may, they, there may be others we haven't discovered, but that's the first manifestation of the state that we're aware of. The initial city-state was born there. But at some point in time, the, the city-state failed to continue the myth, and it didn't work anymore. And so a variation had to be born. And so the empire developed from the city-state. And um, and the empire had advantages over the city-state. This is the ancient empire, which is very different from the modern empire. And then at some point in time, that had to change. And the state has had to change itself and modify itself. The current manifestation of the state was born about 1600, when the corporation was uh, birthed and married into the state. And this, this, this marriage between the corporation and the government um, began to utilize the power of both in order to increase the power of both. And so from 1600 to about 1900, the, the state grew through the power of this union of corporation and government. But about 1900, the state shifted again through the progressive movement and took control of banking and took control of other aspects of personal life that, that the state had never held power over before. And so that's where we're at now. We're in this, in this manifestation of the state, and we see how it behaves, and we see how it acts. And it's beginning after only 100 years. The cracks are starting to form in the myth of the state. And so governments must do one or two, th uh, the state must do one or two things. It must use the, the aggression of governments and the brute force of governments to inflict itself upon humanity. And it will. It will do that. As brute force is always the state's first choice because, it, because governments, as inefficient as they are in everything they do, when it comes to brute force, 
governments have blinding efficiency. That, that's the one thing they really know how to do, and they do it well. They murder, they kill, they, they level cities, they wipe out populations. This is what, this is what the governments of the world can do with, um, with unbelievable accuracy. And when I get back, I'm going to get into this a little bit more, and we're going to get into more of a positive note. Stick with me. Did you know author Taryn P. Lupo has a new novel out called One Nation Under Blood? When a rejuvenative blood technology is developed that pits the young against the old, the government must take firm steps to address the war of supply and demand brewing across generational lines. Blood is not the only thing bought and sold in this dystopian tale of technology, economics, and independence. Vampires are now very real, but we never expected them to wear our grandmother's best Sunday dress. Would you like to do something to support BadQuaker.com? Here's how easy it is. If you're already going to buy something from Amazon, go to BadQuaker.com first. Click on any of the buttons for Amazon. Once at Amazon, shop like you normally would. You'll pay the same price for the things you buy from Amazon, but Amazon will give BadQuaker.com a tiny portion of that purchase. It's amazingly easy to shop at Amazon, it won't cost you any extra, and you'll be supporting BadQuaker.com. Thank you. Okay, thanks for sticking with me through the break. Now, uh, right before the break, I was talking about how brute force is, um, is always the state's first choice and how governments inflict brute force with blinding efficiency. I like that term because that's the only thing that government does efficient, and it just does it in a stunning fashion. A Nagasaki-type way is, is the government's answer, you know. And um, But the, as horrible as that may seem, this is good for the mission of liberty. Uh, let me tell you, I've, my longtime listeners have heard this before, but let me tell you about air. We walk around in a sea of air constantly. We walk around and don't even notice air. We might notice air when, it, when there's wind and air moves, but we don't think of it as air. We think of it as wind. But normally we don't think of air unless something happens to restrict our air then to the amount of restriction that we feel, we feel an equal amount of desperation. And the more your air is cut off, the more desperately you will act to get that air back. And liberty is just like that. If there is no restriction on liberty, we don't notice that we have liberty. We function naturally. We walk around our daily lives and don't think about liberty. But as liberty is taken from us, we notice the importance of liberty. And when we really start to get strangled and our liberty really starts to get squeezed away from us, human beings will act in most dramatic ways in order to achieve liberty. So brute force is the short-term solution of the state. But brute force has limitations. And brute force always backfires on the government that employs it. So in the long run, the state understands that brute force is just a temporary fix. It has, to, uh, it has to adapt around that. Revolution is not the answer. Let me just throw that in. Revolution is just the use of brute force. And a new group becomes the government. The state never changes. So re- revolution is definitely not the answer. Voting is not the answer. Revolution is not the answer. The market is the answer. And, and I'll get into that more in just a second. 
as governments rely on brute force to hold their power, the oppression will drive a market desire for liberty, just like what I was talking about with the air. As people lose their ability to breathe, they get more and more desperate to breathe. Well, as governments clamp down on our liberties, more and more people will drop that ambivalence, and more and more people will educate themselves. There will be a market drive for liberty. And, and when there's a market drive for something, governments have no way of... Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a weapon that governments have no defense against. Uh, that's why the government, no matter how hard it tries, the government cannot prohibit anything. Anything that the government tries to, to prohibit, it fails. And people get it anyway. If they want it, they'll get it. And that's the power of markets. Now, the other thing I want you to keep in mind here, that as the government becomes more and more oppressive, because it will, remember that brute force, as the government becomes more and more oppressive, then the market for liberty will become stronger and stronger until the time comes when there is no room left in society for ambivalence. Now, keep in mind those numbers that I was quoting earlier. How many people don't vote because they just don't care? They don't believe government will help them. The government is, uh, politics are confusing. Of course, politics are confusing. They're intentionally confusing. That's why the government, that's why politicians have doublespeak constantly. That's why they say things in such a weird fashion. You ever notice, listen to a politician talk. Who around you on your day-to-day basis talks like that? Who uses those vague, uh, those vague words and phrases like that? Who does that? Other than maybe, you know, lawyers when they're writing up something to protect something from some, you know, IP law or whatever. But that's all part of the state anyway, isn't it? Okay, so, um, so as this ambivalence is driven out by the aggression of government, the market is going to be pushed more and more to produce liberty for us. And remember, liberty does not require a majority. Democracy is not the path to liberty. It has been tried over and over, but the fact is democracy and liberty are two opposite things. They cannot coexist. Democracy is the opposite of liberty. A market demand for liberty will produce liberty. And governments can't stop that. The state will have the state will be forced to adjust the myth, and then the state will return to a very old trick. And I've talked about this before, specifically in the podcast that I've done talking about um, talking about the birth of the state and talking about um, Jericho and how the state was originally formed. But the state, based deep inside itself, is based on the myth of the great man. But when the, state man- when the state adjusts this next time, the state is going to have to adjust that myth, and it's going to fall back on that old, that old myth of the great man. But not, not a single flawed human, not a single dictator, not a single one person who is, uh, you know, who is flawless and godlike. It won't do that. Because no human can fit that bill. No human. This is, this is asking something of, humani- of humanity that it can't produce. Humanity cannot produce a perfect man. But the myth of the state requires that great man. So a new God must be birthed. Remember, if you, if you listen to my episodes talking about the birth of the state and how Tammuz was the, uh, was the God that was sort of stolen 
from the uh, from the um, wandering, uh, you know, from the hunter gatherer uh, people. Tam- uh, Tammuz was the god, and and different names uh, cover this same myth: uh, Tammuz, Nimrod, Her- Heracles, Hercules, uh, Her- um, uh, Heracle, uh, Melkot, Melkot. Uh, different names uh, were given to this god at different times and in different places. But the myth was all the same. The founding god, the founding god that, that set up the city-state, the myth itself was the same. Well, the the state is going to f- fall back on that same useful great man uh, image, but it will have to create an entirely new uh, great man. And it's my belief, and I and, and I, I can't prove this, but I this is purely on a theoretical basis. I think there will be some type of a, uh, a computer program that will be sold to the public as saying, well, here, we've got this perfect program that can figure out how to control the economy and how to control the money supply and how to, how to issue this and how to do that. And the central planning will no longer be based on a committee of humans that are entirely flawed. But the central planning will be controlled by a single entity that will, uh, at least it'll be sold to the public as being a supercomputer of some kind. Whether that's actually going to be what it is is not the point. I think it'll still be a small uh, committee of really, really selfish human beings that are trying to rule things. But either way, now what I really want to get to you is uh, when a religion begins to falter, and that's what we're talking about with the with the state, with the cracks in the myth of the state. When a religion begins to falter, something must be offered to replace it if the believers are to be kept within the fold. Something as that as the religion begins to to crack, as it begins to falter, as it begins to waver, something has to be offered as a replacement to the believers, if, they're, if they are to be kept in control. Now we, those of us in the Liberty Mission, those of us who have abandoned the Liberty Movement, and we've moved ahead into the Liberty Mission, we must expect, anticipate, and identify the next incarnation of the state before it appears. This is the Liberty Mission. We have to, um, I want to convince you to abandon the Liberty Movement. And embrace this liberty mission. I believe that we have at least one more generation before the state's final push, before that manifestation of the new state happens. So our job in the, in the uh, liberty mission is to educate the current generation and equip the next generation so that we're one step ahead of this change that the state takes. Now, so what's the good news for the disenhearted? The good news is that the market demand for liberty will be more powerful with each act of government oppression. And markets always win. No matter matter what the government tries to do to suppress a market, the market will always win. And you can see this over and over throughout history. Anytime the government tries to, whether it's trying to you know, outlaw the importation of silk, or whether it's trying to outlaw the, um, the exportation of lace, or whether it's trying to control the, the, uh, the sale of tobacco or alcohol or anything else, the government always fails to control the market because the market possesses powers and possesses weapons that the state, that the government, it's the people within the government and the greater myth of the state have no defense against. So the market will win because the market always wins and because the market is more powerful. 
because the market is the true desires of humanity. You see, the state is a myth that many people believe in that lords itself over humans, but the market is the desire of humans. It's not what they believe. It's what they want down deep in their, in their being. They want, and therefore the, the market will give. And as people want more and more, want liberty, the market will produce liberty for us. It's not something we have to go and change government to get government to give us. The market will give us liberty. And this is the good news for the disenhearted. Now, before I wrap it up today, I want to I want to tell you about one other thing, and uh, but I, I wanted to get all that out first because I, I didn't know if I could get it all put into one podcast or not. So I wanted to cover all those things before I uh, before I took the chance of, um, of you know of getting cut off halfway through by my by my one hour mark. Um, I, I want to encourage you to go over to badquaker.com. And across the top there, you'll see the button to the right-hand side on the top for the forum. And I want to, I want to, even if you've never been on any forum, or if you've never been on the Bad Quaker forum, or even if you don't normally go to the Bad Quaker website, I want to encourage you to do this. And I think, I think you'll be happy that you did if you do this. Go to badquaker.com, look over on the right-hand side of the up, uh, the upper right-hand side, and click on the button that says uh, the badquaker.com forum. I can't remember the exact words, but you'll see the button for the forum. Click on that button. Look around. You don't have to log in or anything. Just look around and find the thread where people are talking about what brought them to liberty. And maybe I can put a link to it on today's show notes. Maybe you can just click, click right to that link in the show notes on badquaker.com and, uh, and go right to this, um, to this forum thread. And I want you to just read. Now realize that the forum is brand new, and we've got maybe 60 or 70 people on it, and this thread is brand new. So it's not real long at all. You can take just a couple minutes and read through this thread. But read um, the, the words that these people have written about what brought them to liberty. And, then, and, he, and especially if you, were, if you were one of these people who were really crushed by Barack Obama's victory over in the presidency. If, if you were really upset about that, if it really causes you to question the future and question, if it really causes you to question America and question the people of America, go, go to badquaker.com, follow that link, get over on the forum. You don't, like I said, you don't have to log in or anything. You can read it and just read that, uh, that thread on what brought you to liberty and read what those people have to say. And I really think you're going to find some good news there. Now, folks, as always, for more on liberty, property rights, and the zero aggression principle, go to badquaker.com. And thank you very much for listening today.